0: This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is CoronaCast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor.
1: And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Friday the 15th of October 2021 and a very special CoronaCast today.
0: Yes, Norman, we love you very much and you're a doctor and all that, but we have a a bigger, dare I say better, expert sitting here with us for CoronaCast today.
1: Yeah, it's just radical, but we're getting on somebody who actually knows what they're talking about. (laughs)
0: And uh, not to t- not to put too fine a point on it, he's kind of a big deal. We're talking about Professor Eddie Holmes. He's an evolutionary biologist who works with viruses, including SARS-CoV-2, the the coronavirus that this CoronaCast is all about, at the University of Sydney. And stick with us, folks. It's a long episode today because there's so much to cover. We're going to talk about the origins of the virus. We're going to talk about variants vaccines and where to from here. So let's just get straight into it.
1: Yeah. And it should be said that Eddie is the person who released the viral genome to the world, which he got from a Chinese scientist. No big deal. So Exactly. No big deal. Um, Eddie, let's just start because there's been this huge controversy about the virus, about where it originated. Was it the Wuhan Institute of Virology? Was it a lab? Was it a bat? So where do you stand in terms of where the virus comes from?
2: So, at the moment, as you well know, this is this is a, a topic of some some debate. Um, at the moment, we we know that there are pretty closely related viruses in bats from southern China and some other Southeast Asian countries. And just a couple of weeks ago, um, the closest relative yet has been been um, identified in a in a, bat, a horseshoe bat. They're called genus. Ronophilus, and it was from Laos, okay, or Laos um, in Southeast Asia. And they are the closest so far to SARS-CoV-2, about 90, I think it's 96.8% similar in the genome sequence um, to the virus. That's still actually a few, maybe maybe 10 or plus years of evolution separating that virus of SARS-CoV-2, but that's the closest one we've got so far. Now, quite how you get from that virus into a human, was it? Is there another? Is there? I mean, there must be some other other closer viruses out there. Are they in other bats? Are they in other animals? We don't really know yet, and we need to do more sampling of of, of, the, of the ecology of these viruses in nature to um, to try and work that out.
0: Is it unusual to take this long to find the origins of a virus, or is this actually a pretty short timeframe in in the realm of tracking down a virus's origins?
2: I would say it's kind of. In the, in the ballpark, it, it really depends. I think you know. So it took it took some like ten years to find that HIV came from chimpanzees. We still don't know hepatitis C virus. I'm sure you know that very well. Huge um, public health problem. We don't know where that comes. That's that comes from. Still, there are, I mean, there are viruses that are quite close in some animals, but the actual you know the 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 real ancestor is missing. So it all depends on you know. If we're lucky, this virus evolved in you know, an animal market. We could have sampled it quickly. If we need to go back into, you know, into the into the real wilds to find the ancestor, it, it could it could take a while. So I don't think there's. I know some people think that's that's kind of suspicious, but I don't think there's anything untoward in not finding that
1: yet. Eddie, right at the beginning of this, we spoke to a few evolutionary biologists, um, particularly people from the lab in Seattle, and and they they were poo pooing the impact of. Um, if you like the mutations on the virus, they they were saying, "Well, look, the mutations are the mutations, but really, it's human behaviour that changes this, not the new mutations in the virus." But that's not quite worked out that way.
2: No, it hasn't. And I must say, I'd, I'd also put, if you'd asked me that time, I'd have also been in the in the poo pooing camp as well, right? And I, you know, I wrote papers saying the evolution. Don't worry, nothing's going to happen. And you no, know, I, I got it wrong. And I think the um, the problem is this virus has actually evolved a lot more than most of us would have would have expected over the last 18 months or so. And in particular, I mean, we all know about Delta. I mean, the, the Delta variant is just such an increase in infectivity. I mean, I certainly did not see that coming. And most of my colleagues did not see that coming. So I think the virus has shown a greater capacity to kind of, you know, to, to evolve and change than, than most people thought would, was possible.
0: Why? Is it because of the scale of the spread that's just had so many opportunities to mutate as it replicates
2: yeah I think it's partly that I think I, th- I think it's a number number of things so first of all we we 've never seen anything quite like this virus before because although we have new you know we get, we get new flu variants every so often and we, we've seen those, it's rare we have a virus that's new to which the human population, no one has ever seen it before. We're all completely susceptible. We all can get infected. So that's kind of like virgin territory. So it's partly that. Partly also, I think we've never studied the virus, its evolution this close up before. I mean, it's extraordinary detail. So I, for many years, I've used, the, I've used the phrase, we're watching virus evolution in real time. That was not really real time at all. It was kind of, you know, real time was, you know, over... a a month or so now we are literally watching it on a kind of daily basis there's over four million complete genome sequences of the virus generated so far it's amazing so part of the reason why it's changing so much is we're actually watching it change so much it's the first time we've ever done that i think third i think we just didn't realize that the virus was actually we think of coronaviruses as being you know kind of conservative very slowly evolving things like common cold coronaviruses this one, though, is just more. It's, we didn't expect it to be that much more adaptable than it really is. So I think it was, a, it was a, it, partly a combination of, of, new, of the new way we look, we look at viruses biogenomics, and partly this virus is, just, is just, it's just a bit
1: different. Now, you've got this extraordinary situation where the pressures on the virus around the world are quite similar, and you're getting very similar kind of evolutionary adaptation, what they call convergent evolution. What are the evolutionary pressures here on in? So this is really,
2: I think, the key question. And I think think we can divide the evolution of, of this virus into kind of two phases. I think during 2020 and the first part of 2021, what you saw was probably just selection, just evolution, for sheer infectivity, right? Just the fastest one. It's like you know, you want you want your kind of Daniel Ricardo in your in your your racing car, your Formula One. That's the one that wins. So evolution was going for that because at that time, until maybe the start of this year or so, most people were not infected. There you was know, or or been vaccinated. So there was actually not that much immunity in the population. So the virus wasn't. Challenge to infect people who've been infected in the past who are immune. It was it was normally seeing people, meeting people by transmission, who were not infect not immune. So selection was just for sheer replication power. What's now going to happen is that as vaccination right rate rates have rise dramatically, I mean Australia's done an amazing job the last few months, right? As, as they've risen in Australia and other countries too, the selection pressure on the virus is going to change, and that and we're no longer Going to select the selection will not be just for sheer replication power. It's going to be for a virus that kind of is able to evade that immune response. It's different kind of thing. So, so your your straight Formula One car isn't going to work anymore. It's more it's more like going on a kind of Parry to Dakar rally, right? So you want a different kind of vehicle, better suspension, thicker wheels. You know, it's a it's a different kind of selection pressure. So, quite what that's going to do to which virus will will go will win from now on is a little bit hard to say but it probably won't be one that's going to be just the best infector it's also going to be the one that's the best at invading the immune response so it allows you to reinfect people who've got immunity so that's and that we're going to kind of get into that new phase of evolution now
1: if not very soon And, I mean, vaccinologists say, oh, there's there's not been a a situation in the world that we know of to date where a virus is mutated around a vaccine rather than natural antibodies. Is that true?
2: It's very hard to tease apart exactly what drives um, viruses to escape vaccine coverage. So, for example, with influenza, we know that every two or three years we need to update the vaccine because the virus has evolved um, away around the vaccine that was used previously, the problem is is that is has the vaccine selected that or the virus itself infecting people. It's actually quite hard to tease those two things apart. So, to me, the to me the the the, the question is not so much will it evolve around the vaccine, is will it evolve around immunity? Okay, and I think it will because if selection is strong enough, the virus will because not everyone. Immunity is not perfect, right? This is not uh, what they call sterilising immunity. So if you're vaccinated or you're infected you have an immune response, you're not immune for life. Your your immune response wanes through time. So the virus, because of that, it's because its leak, immunity is leaky, that will allow selection to work. That will drive it forward. So um, I, I don't think we're going to get into a situation where will vaccinate the vaccination will stop evolution of the virus I think that's not going to happen
1: then just using the influenza analogy influenza has pandemic potential in other words to make a leap in evolution to which we are not immune has COVID-19 the SARS-CoV-2 virus got more pandemic potential in it in other words, to create a second pandemic with a new version.
2: Flu is a is a is an analogy. It's not the perfect model. There's a lot, there are differences. You need to be a little bit careful. But so what but there are some things we can draw on. So in flu, pandemics are caused by new bits of the virus coming in from animals every so often. Okay. Um, and that's called it's often called antigenic shift. And what that means is a bit of a new bit of the virus genetic material, gene. Gets into a human strain, okay? Because it all, they all come from birds ultimately. So a bit of bird virus somehow gets into human strain, like from chickens, and that causes a pandemic. And we get those every, you know, it's not, not it's not really a time scale, But the last one was in. We had swine flu two thousand nine. Before that, nineteen sixty eight. Before that, nineteen fifty seven. Before that, nineteen eighteen. So they're actually very irregular seasonal flu, which is a different thing. That that is the that's the year on year on seasonal spread of the virus the virus gradually evolves through time so every every few weeks or months it it changes a little bit its antigenic structure to evade immunity so for a pandemic strain, a new pandemic strain to appear that for in 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 SARS-CoV-2 COVID, that would probably need again a new animal source to bring it in I suspect what we're more likely to see is the kind of seasonal influenza sort of thing where the virus will just gradually change its genetic structure because of selection. So it'll change its surface proteins that will allow it to evade immunity and that will then infect more hosts. But I don't, what I, what I doubt will happen, Norman, is we will get, by that kind of gradual evolution, a strain that no one is then protected by that everyone is susceptible. I don't think that would be the case. I suspect even if if the virus evolves in a kind of standard way, even if it generates a new variant, there'll be enough or some residual immunity in the population to protect a bit against that. That's what happens in flu. In flu, the first virus you ever see as a child, that protects you still through time against that virus happening in the future. So amazingly, people who are infected back in 1918 with influenza, still had some immunity to swine flu in 2009 because actually it's the same virus lineage many years later so i i don't think this continued evolution process the virus goes through this year on year evolution that we'll we'll get with SARS-CoV-2 i don't think that'll make a strain that's completely evasive to everything
0: so Eddie, we told our audience yesterday that we were having you on as a guest today and asked them to send in their questions and they have. Nicole's asking, is it true that unvaccinated people are the ones in whom mutations will develop and spread?
2: That's a, a very good question, actually. It's quite complicated. I'm try and give myself a, a proper answer. Yes, so people, virus will evolve in all, all the population, okay? So people who are unvaccinated, clearly there'll be more transmission, okay? Because there's nothing to protect them. Mutations will take place. Those mutations, though, when they do appear, when they evolve, they'll be subject to a different sort of selection pressure to those that appear in the immunized population. So the rate, so the immunized population will will massively reduce transmission, but there will still be some evolution there will still be some selection because you're not completely protecting. There'll be some, but mutations that do arise will be, that are selective. Are we different to those than in the unvaccinated population? Because immunity will become the driver of selection.
0: So on that, Christopher's asking, we know that Delta is currently the dominant strain. Is there evidence from around the world of other variants of concern emerging and any evidence of vaccine resistant variants evolving in places with high vaccination rates?
2: I don't know about vaccine resistance, not that I've noticed carefully. At the moment we have we have a number of these variants of concern, alpha, beta, delta, gamma, and delta is is the winner. We've had some others that have come along come along. There was mu and there was lambda. In, I think in the US, there was a straight kind of like shootout between Delta and Lambda and Delta 1, right, because Delta is so much more infectious. So they're, they're, they're the variants of concern. They're also the variants of interest that are being kind of monitored. And I think now there are things called variants of monitoring as well, the kind of third set. So the good news is we have now have the, the, the genomic tools by which scientists all over the world, Australia doing a very good job in this, are monitoring the evolution of these viruses very carefully to see whether something's going to come up that's going to replace Delta. At the moment, I don't think there's any evidence that there is at this moment, but who knows? All it takes is you know a certain combination of mutations will appear that gives the virus uh, the ability to evade the immune response. Bang, off it goes. So that could well happen. Again, but the good news is now at least we can actually watch it very, very quickly. And with the vaccines that we have, we have potential to kind of update those pretty speedily too. Eddie, it's been a pleasure. All mine, actually. Thank you.
0: Professor Eddie Holmes is an evolutionary biologist who works with viruses at the University of Sydney. This has been Coronacast for another week. If you've got questions and comments, go to abc.net.au slash coronacast.
1: I will see you Monday.
0: See you then.